This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. No matter what side of the issue you come down on, you are a Christ follower and a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that means that the call on your life is clear. That as an individual, you know that God is a God of justice. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Hello, my name is Bill, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We're about to hear the rest of a message from Pastor Jeff on God's definition of social justice. He's teaching from Isaiah chapter 58. And Pastor Jeff will look at how we need to have a changed attitude towards things that are just wrong. Here's Pastor Jeff now with the rest of the message. Poor are different when it comes to God's plain favorites. God does not want a society where people, some people are poor. It's even more against his will when some are poor while others in their vicinity are rich. Jesus is on the side of the poor for it is they who are being wronged. Now, did you hear that? He says poverty in the midst of a Christian community is a justice issue. I know what some of you are thinking. You gotta stay with me. I'm surprised nobody's walked out yet. You know, I've told you numerous times when I went to Rwanda to preach in the prisons after the genocide. And the last time we were there, they took us into this high secure prison. 11,500 prisoners in a prison that was built for 4,000. And I'd rehearsed my sermon all night before. I was, kind of, I was kind of scared, kind of concerned, didn't know what it was going to be like. And they opened the iron gates and shoved me through there with the translator. And just as I got on stage with these 24 pastors behind me, I threw away all my notes, and I just felt an overwhelming presence of God like I never had before. And he, 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 it's like he was saying to me, tell them the story. And, and I told them a story, and I won't tell you the whole story. But for some reason, God wanted me to tell these, these, these murderers who walked across the street with a machete and killed their neighbors over a million in 90 days just because they were a different tribe. So I'm preaching repentance to these prisoners, and I tell them the story about the little boy who has candy, the little girl who has a jar of marbles, and they decide to trade their little brother, little sister. Only when they trade, the boy withholds some of the more precious stuff from his jar while the girl gives everything. When I told that story to these prisoners, in Africa, when you're really angry, you hiss. So you go, and I'm sitting there thinking, These guys are mad at this little boy for withholding three marbles. They went across the street with a machete and sliced up their neighbors. And the reality is we don't like injustice, but we can't see it in ourselves. But when two people become close to God, 
as a couple or as a family, that their heart's supposed to hurt for what his heart hurts for. And Isaiah says, if it doesn't, you don't know me yet. That's harsh. You know, now let me take a little time out. I'm usually an optimist. I mean, I, I just think things always, I'm, I'm just, I just am optimistic. A couple of years ago, I told you the story about the set of twins that had absolutely nothing in common. They were opposite twins. One liked hot, one liked cold. One liked the TV loud, one liked the TV soft. One was eternal optimist, the other was doom and gloom pessimist. And on their birthday, which would be the same day, the pessimist got a room full of toys and the optimist got a room full of manure. The pessimist started crying. Who got all the toys? Said, my friends will be jealous. I'll have to read the instructions. I'll constantly need new batteries. Eventually, everything will get broken. What a horrible birthday. But the optimist is jumping up and down for joy. Just the guy who got manure everywhere in his room just jumping up and down and says, there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> that's, that's me. That's my personality when it comes to this nation that I love so much. But I'm struggling a bit with what I see around me right now. Right and wrong and what is truly best for the country doesn't seem to matter anymore. It's all about getting votes. It's like nobody really cares if their policies helps America. All they care about is, am I going to get elected? That's on both sides or all three sides. So things like immigration, health care, socialism, welfare, racism, those things are ripping this nation apart. And nobody cares about truth. They only care about getting elected, so nobody's speaking the truth. Now, my job as a pastor is not to convince you or convert you to a political party or an economic theory. That's not my job. Because no matter what side of the issue you come down on, you are a Christ follower and a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that means that the call on your life is clear. That as an individual, you know that God is a God of justice. And that the Bible supports the notion of social justice, social justice in which care and concern for the poor exist in God's church. And the Bible consistently makes reference to the fatherless, the widow, and the immigrant who are not able to fend for themselves. Constantly. And when Jesus spoke on the Mount of Olives, he mentioned the least of these. In fact, you read in the book of James, listen to this. I don't know of any other place in the Bible where the word religion is used because it's not Christianity. Christianity is a faith system. But in James, he, it's like he says, you want religion? Okay, if you want it, here's what it is. That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see what he does there? He puts holiness on the same level as helping the widows and the orphans. When's the last time you helped a widow or an orphan? The Christian view. Here's the problem we get into. Social justice is such a loaded concept. And just let me say this, and then you can send me the emails later. Today's notion of social justice replaces the individual with the government, which through taxation and other means redistributes wealth. This policy will never encourage giving out of love. Instead, it will create resentment from those who see their hard-earned wealth taken away. The Christian view of social justice does not automatically assume that the wealthy are all beneficiaries of ill-gotten gain. 
The Bible assumes that wealth is not ipso facto evil. Wealth is not evil in the biblical worldview, but there is a strong calling on those who have wealth and those who have been blessed to become rich toward God. And you become rich toward God by having a heart for the things of God, namely the spiritually and the physically impoverished. The problem is we live in a world, the man-centered approach to social justice sees the government as the savior. The God-centered approach to social justice sees Christ as the savior and his followers to be individually involved in taking up the case of the poor, the widows, the orphans, and those who are unable to provide for themselves. When the church historically, now I'm speaking as a historian now, when the church historically fails to take care of the poor, the government steps in and historically they don't do a very good job. They become enablers. But when God's people do God's work, communities are transformed. Remember what we said? The litmus test or the truth of your love and knowledge of God. Are you really a Christ follower? The evidence is that you will have a changed heart and you will have a deep love and activity for the poor. So where are you? Do you even ever think about them? I know what you're thinking. It goes something like this. Well, they're just lazy. Why should I help them? Get a job. I know how you think. There's a reason we think like that. Before I tell you that, what would God say to us in this room? He would say the same thing to us that he said to his people hundreds and hundreds of years. If you look in Deuteronomy 10, God has prepared his people for the promised land, and he's always talking about their hearts. Here's what he says in verse 16. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. <laughs> I love that. You can't bribe God. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. You hear that? God says this, I want you to be like me, but you don't become like me by trying harder. You have to circumcise your heart with grace. All right, here we go. This is the end. Here's how things change. It's all about recall. If you can recall and remember something, this will change your heart and your attitude toward the poor and toward social injustice, okay? If you'll just remember, uh, I was away this week. Uh, I was in Georgia having some meetings, some pretty important meetings with pastors. Okay, you know, we have this transparency relationship with each other, right? I've had a couple of weeks where I don't feel very close to God. Oh, Pastor Jeff, say it isn't so. Well, of course it is. I have my seasons like everybody else. So I'm in my hotel room, provided by a friend of mine. I'm laying in bed there. It's dark outside. You know, I can't sleep because I'm on California time. And I'm laying there, and I don't know what came over me, but I just started singing an old hymn. Out loud. Well, not loud enough for the next people across the hall to hear me. I just started singing. I don't know why. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Know this song? There's just something about 
that name. Come on, nobody knows that. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Remember that song? I just started singing it over and over and over again. And then I got this great idea. Spotify is no respecter of persons. I bet you I could find the song. And I did by the Bill Gaither Trio. <laughs> At the Billy Graham homecoming. And I just played it like 20 times, different, 20 different versions. I just lay there. And you know what it did? It reminded me of when I was 22 and I was called into ministry. And it, rem it reminded me of everything God had done for me to get me to this place. And you know what happened, don't you? All of a sudden, I'm praying and I'm there forever. Just me and God. How can you circumcise your heart? Often God would have the Israelites place stones of remembrance so they wouldn't forget. Do you know how your heart's going to be changed, folks? It's when you remember that there was one time when you were a foreigner. And he delivered you. And you had a sense of entitlement and God saved you anyway. And you had a bad attitude, but he loved you anyway. You were grumpy and had a mumbling spirit, but he still had mercy on you. And you remember the grace of God that's been poured out into your life. And if you'll do that, that will circumcise your heart. And that'll make you more like God. And as you let grace ruminate and govern your everyday life, your attitude's going to change toward foreigners and the poor and the undeserving. Because you were poor and you were undeserving and you were a foreigner. So here's what God asks you to do. God asks you, hey, Jeff, when were you when I met you? Who were you? So when you see the guy under the bridge, get a job. When you see a guy in rags, oh, why don't you get some work? See what you forget. And God's calling somebody right now to remind you of this. <laughs> God is saying, wait a minute. If, if I were to base my help and assistance to people on what you're basing yours on, you'd still be lost without a country, without a hope and a future. That's how you circumcise your heart. There's a poor man in rags that sleeps under the bridge in Upland. I see him every day. And just about every time I see him, I usually avert my eyes. Why? Why? Because I'm busy saving the world. I don't have time for one person. But last week, as I'm writing this sermon... I remember Jesus took my rags and gave me a new white robe. He exchanged places with me in poverty so that I could become rich. And I have forgotten who I was before Jesus knew me. And how he averted, God averted his eyes away from Jesus so he would not lose me. So what does Jesus do in Luke 4? But he shows up and he announces, Jesus announces his political platform in Luke chapter 4. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Where did Jesus get his political platform? Isaiah 61. The end of the discourse from Isaiah 58. How do you see the homeless? Everybody. 
What do you think of when you see them? What do you think of when you see a widow who's struggling to, to feed her kids? What do, you, what do you think of? Here's the problem. You either think nothing at all or you say, I, I think I need to call the church. No. Your heart needs to be circumcised where that you, in the words of Andy Stanley, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You can't save the world, but you can save one. And it's whoever God brings across your path. In the Talmud, he who saves one life saves the world. You could do one. What if 6,000 people all did for one what they wish they could do for everyone? My friend Mark Hall, stay with me, almost done. My friend Mark Hall that I spent some time with told me that he was in Vegas. You know, I've never been to Vegas. Should I go? Okay. I thought so. I thought so. So Mark said he's in Vegas, and he gets in a taxi with a friend of his, and there's another guy in the taxi they're going to share it with. It's a busy night. And he says to the taxi driver, taxi driver says, where do you want to go? He says, I want to go to Central. It's a church in Vegas, huge church. Had a heart for the people in Vegas. The taxi driver says, what, you want to go to church? You're in Vegas. It was a Wednesday night. So finally, the taxi driver said, I'll take you. It's 30 minutes away. They get there. And Mark called my friend, who does for one what he wishes he could do for everyone. Looked at the taxi driver and said, why don't you come in with us? The guy said, no, no, I'm not doing that. He says, well, it's crazy for you to drive away and then come back 30 minutes. And Mark said, we'll pay the meter. Just keep the meter running. It's fine. Just come in with us. And the guy did. He said, okay, I'll come in. So he came in. Of course, my friend Gene Apple gets up and knocks it out of the park. Then they get back into the taxi after the service is over. And Mark Hall says to the taxi, hey, before we leave, can we pray? Because we always pray before we leave because we're just out of gratitude for what we've heard. So Mark says, I started to pray. I prayed. And then my friend prayed. Then the taxi driver said, I'll pray. And the taxi driver said, God, thank you for bringing these guys to Vegas to bring me back home again. Do for one. Most of us wouldn't even think to ask the taxi driver to come in. This is, this is the point. When, when the Spirit of God truly gets your heart, you're always looking for the poor and impoverished, not only physically, but spiritually. And if we don't do this, man, here's the problem. Dionysius, the Bishop of Alexandria around 280, said, during the great epidemic, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. Many, in nursing and, and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The pagans behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed their sufferers away and fled even from their dearest, throwing them, it should say, into the roads before they were dead. The reason Christianity spread the way it did the first 350 years because Christ followers had the heart of God. What's my call on you? Don't be overwhelmed by the message. Just go out, feed somebody that's hungry. If, if, if they come across your path tonight, don't, don't, don't say you don't deserve it, you're late. No, well you, wait a minute, God saved you. Just do it. Don't give them a speech. Sometimes the Spirit of God will prompt you to do something more than that. Always feed the hungry. I didn't say give them cash. See, 
give them a cash, it's easy for you because you just do it and you're done. That's why you do it. The smarter thing would be to go in, buy food, and bring it to them. Feed the hungry. Clothe the poor. Somebody asks you for your shirt, give them, or your cloak, give them your, whatever the Bible says there. See, I don't always remember everything. <laughs> always, you know, if you learn of somebody that's in prison, visit them. Let the orphans and widows be your priority. And here's what will happen, and this is the end. When I lived in New Zealand, all of my friends kept telling me to go see this kari tree. And uh, it was about two hours north of my home. And I just put it off time and time and time again. And finally, I just said, okay, I'm going to go see this tree. So I got in my car and I drove and I saw this tree. Folks, I, I try to find a good photo, but see, it doesn't do it justice. You've got no idea how big this tree is. This is the biggest tree I've ever seen in my life. If I stood in front of, I mean, it's just, I, I, yes, I've been to the Redwoods. I've seen them. No, you haven't seen this cowrie tree. This is the largest tree in the South Pacific. And you, you walk out on a bridge and see big trees. And you think, oh, these are big trees. And then they kind of trick you. You turn the corner and there it is, man. It is. The trunk is probably as big as the inside of this building. Okay, that's a preacher's story. Half as big as it. Yeah, I'm just saying it's big. And all of a sudden, you come around the corner, you're like, wow. And you know, people come from all over the world to see this stinking tree. That's all that's there. There's no restaurant. There's no golf course. There's nothing but the tree. <laughs> and people, people, I mean, when we were there, there were people from Germany, people from all over Europe, people from Australia, to come and just see the tree. And as I was watching the tree, God gave me something that has stayed with me ever since. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And then look what he, how he says. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What's the point? When the church lives this out, you're like a big oak tree that everybody comes from all over around the world to see because they've never seen it before. Yeah, this weekend I could tell you to go get involved in Kaleidoscope and go get involved in all these programs. Not this weekend. Just go do it for one. Just, just open your heart. Circumcise your heart. Because that's the litmus test of whether or not you truly know God. Wow. May God help us as we help the world. Father, I thank you and I praise you for conviction. I I thank you that sometimes the truth is hard to hear. But there's always a way through the mercy and grace that you provide. And I pray that our eyes would be open to the mercy and grace that we've received so that we in turn would give mercy and grace to others. I pray that we'd get past the political and social theories into the kingdom of God. Where if somebody's hungry, we feed them. If somebody needs clothing, we clothe them. Where there is social injustice, we don't rest until somehow we bring the love and the mercy and grace of Christ 
into every situation. I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room and on every campus that at this moment, they would be committing a new life to you. God, bring somebody across my path and I will give mercy, not just pity, but mercy and grace. And even though it may cost me something, even though it might require sacrifice, I know that by doing that, it's evidence that my heart is your heart because you did that for me. It's my prayer in Christ's name. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.